Okay, well, the theme this morning is from Genesis 5 to 10, and we could have had David Suchet reading all uh, six chapters, uh, but that would have uh, taken quite a long time. So let's have the first bit, which is uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verses 8 to 13. Uh, we finished the story with Cain and Abel uh, last week, and now we're getting on to the flood. And so this speaks about God's grief, his heart filled with pain because of the sin of men. So... Chapter 6, 8 to 13. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Okay, so those solemn words. Um, with that, we pick up the, the very troubled story um, of the beginnings of mankind. Um, sin has come in and spoiled God's wonderful creation. And so we come to the judgment and the flood. Now, I don't want to get into discussions on all the historic, stroke, mythological, whatever, uh, questions concerning the flood. But we could just say that all the known world, probably is the way to interpret it, um, suffered the flood, which is what happened. Chris was saying the other day that... Uh, the word world can also mean land as well, and so their land was flooded, and it's well known that the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, where this story was taking place, uh, they were very prone to flood at different times. So, um, and the story of a, of a huge flood appears in other civilizations as well. So uh, we're dealing with something uh, which, which happened, but I want to take a, a little bit more concerning the lessons that we can learn. Now, the murder of Cain introduced violence into the world uh, and has never left. And so after those beginning stories in chapters 1 to 4, uh, we have a genealogy in, Ge in Genesis 5. And so then we arrive at Noah. And this is a story of judgment uh, and salvation and then God's love and commitment uh, to his world. So if I... Okay, so the first part of this, a very cheerful title of Violence and Corruption. Um, well, this began then and is very evidently still here, as we've already heard this morning, still in the world all around us. And these are the kinds of things, we can think of these often on an international or national level, but actually they affect us as well. Those sorts of things um, are in our hearts too. Uh, last week, um, Sim was reminding us of the the personal consequences of anger sometimes, and I don't know whether there were any contentious VAR decisions on the football yesterday uh, that got Sim into a state of rage this morning. Uh, calm, Sim, okay? No, oh, he's all right, okay, good. Um, but these things um, affect us as well. We can be tempted too um, in these areas of, of corruption and violence. Now, uh, let me start with a story that involves uh, Chris and Jan. A lot of years ago, um, Chris and Jan were teaching in, the, uh, in, the Bible in a Bible school in Nairobi, uh, 
and I was going to Mbali in Uganda for um, a conference. And so we flew to Nairobi, and we stayed with uh, Chris and Jan. Muriel stayed with Jan to take Chris's classes in the Bible College, and Chris had arranged for us to travel across um, Kenya on the train, a very slow train, all the way through the Rift Valley. And the arrangement was that you get to the border uh, at Kenya, you stop, and you go through Kenyan customs, you get your uh, passport stamped, and then you walk across a little river, a kind of a no-man's land, to the Ugandan side, and then you go through there, which is what we did. And so we then met our friends from Mbali on the other side, and off we went to the week's conference. So we had an excellent week in Mbali, and came back the following, it was a Friday, I think, the following Friday to catch the same train on the way home. And so uh, we walked into the Ugandan immigration customs place. It wasn't quite as smart as this one is now. And so uh, showed our passports. Uh, and the guy at the desk said, uh, uh, where is your um, entry stamp coming into Uganda? And we said, well, you know, we weren't sure that we had to have one. Oh, yes, he said, you've got to have a stamp to come in. So he said, well, we came across the bridge. And then we took the route through that, you know, the soldier with the machine gun, you know, told us, to, uh, told us to follow. And we walked out the other side. And it seems we'd entirely missed um, the Ugandan immigration stamp. So he says, uh, this, this said, well, I'm sorry, it was an honest mistake. Can you let us through? Uh, no, he said, this is a very serious matter. Um, you're going to have to wait until my boss arrives. So we had to sit around and wait for the boss. Um, and when he came in, he was clearly the boss. Big guy, gleaming white shirt, looking really quite full of authority. And he looks at our passports and uh, he says, uh, there's no immigration stamp. He said, you are illegal immigrants uh, in Uganda. Um, the, the, the punishment for this is uh, up to three to five years uh, in prison. Now, this was the point at which the temptation to corruption crossed my mind. Because I was thinking, uh, I probably got a couple of 20 pound notes in my pocket. Uh, I wonder uh, if that would help the situation. That probably never occurred to Chris. I don't, uh, I shouldn't, uh, his pure mind. <laughs> anyway, I then thought, actually, maybe this isn't such a great idea because there were a lot of people all around. And if you try any funny stuff, this could get worse and worse. So we decided to wait and kind of anxiously prayed and so on. Anyway, we, we sat around there, and after keeping us waiting for enough time for the train that we were coming for to have departed on the other side of the border, he kept us there waiting long enough uh, for that. Uh, he pushed our passports across and sort of waved us away. So we walked across the bridge and got into Uganda uh, with the train already gone. But Chris, having been in Africa for some time, was very talented in negotiations with taxi drivers. Um, and so got a taxi where we blasted down the road, managed to overtake the train uh, about 10 miles down the road at its first stop, ran onto the station just as the train was coming around the corner, and so we got back to Nairobi on time. But I have to say uh, that the idea of corruption there was something that uh, uh, came into my mind, but I'm glad I didn't uh, go down that road. But on a larger scale, of course, um, Corruption is uh, endemic uh, in many states. How do you live in a country where you have no honest 
public administration, if you don't trust you know, the doctors and the administrative people and the taxes and so on, uh, how do you manage, that? manage with that? And it's not just elsewhere, um, it's here uh, as well, our, even our own politicians. Um, it's a great temptation. Uh, violence for me, uh, not so much, except on some occasions when I, in my first teaching job, uh, when I had year 10, bottom set history for two lessons on a Friday afternoon. Um, from time to time, the temptation to violence, I have to say, uh, did also uh, cross my mind there. So, um, but gladly, <laughs> I never got fired. Um, but violence is something where well, we've noticed since coming back to this country how much more it seems there is knife crimes and hospital staff and retail workers and so on being abused and physical problems, not to mention all the things that we've been praying about uh, this morning. So um, all those things, uh, the news these days is hard to watch uh, because of violence. And so at that time, God decided to bring his uh, judgment on sin and set things in reverse from his original creation and to make a new start from an obedient man and his family. Noah found grace. Noah found favor, which was available to everyone, but he found it. He met God. God's grace came to him, first of all, and then came the descriptions of how he lived. He was uh, a righteous man. He was a preacher of righteousness. Hebrews describes him as a, a man of faith, and so he was an obedient man, a relationship with God, an intimacy with God. But let's note, too, this little aside that we have um, in Genesis 6 and verse 6. Um, if, you, if you have your Bible, it says, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So we do see the, the suffering and the grief of God in this story of terrible sin and then the judgment uh, that comes. So now comes the story that uh, you know well. Um, the flood comes on the earth in judgment for, for sin. And uh, Noah builds uh, the ark. Here he is with his three boys uh, working from the plans. Um, it's the animals coming into the ark uh, two by two. It's uh, Noah, the first conservationist, and he was in a kind of a floating prison almost for a year with the animals uh, and their food and so on. This was not a luxury cruise uh, for uh, Noah. And there's one little phrase that you find in chapter 7 and verse 16. It says, after they'd all gone into the ark, and uh, the rains were starting and so on, it says, the Lord shut him in. And I imagine what Noah thought at that point. They're all inside, and then all of a sudden, bang, as God closes the door. And Noah thinks, this is it. I'm here. Uh, I can't go anywhere. We have to, to wait. And so he had, if you like, to bury himself in this ark to find safety. He had to expect life through the kind of death that he was experiencing, shut up in the ark, and he had to leave this world as he knew it to be able to find it again. Finally, 
the flood recedes. And so they can come out of the ark and the animals and so on, and life begins again. It's interesting that in two or three places when the New Testament talks about this, it uh, compares all this uh, to baptism. Um, that the judgment is a picture of water, and so in the same way that the waters of judgment condemn the world, but save Noah, so in the same way, baptism is a kind of New Testament uh, equivalent that the water bears us, but we find life uh, afterwards. Well, then the uh, salvation of Noah arrives, and the turning point is uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, where it says, God remembers Noah. At the end of the flood, one commentator says of Noah, he walks out on dry ground in the Easter sunrise, bringing his family with him, which I think is uh, rather nice. So he offers sacrifices, uh, he builds an altar, he worships God, still plenty of human weaknesses. Uh, we see an unpleasant account of his drunkenness uh, a bit later on um, in chapter 9. But God is still with him. So we've had the corruption and the violence. We've had the judgment of the, of the earth and the salvation of Noah and his family. And now we have, after that, the covenant and the promise. So if we could have our second bit of uh, David Suchet. Peter, thank you. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah oh. came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. Okay, thank you. Um, Christina just asked me, was that the right passage? And it wasn't quite the right one. Um, because <laughs> I was hoping, uh, hoping to get the next one in the next, same verses in the next chapter, about the covenant and the promise. And, well, you know this uh, story as well, I'm sure. Oh, not quite yet. <laughs> right. This is where God makes a promise um, to a covenant, if you like, a promise to Noah that there will be no more deluge, no more end of life on the earth. There are 
many other different covenants in Scripture with Abraham and Moses and David and so on. But this one is a promise that there'll be no more uh, major judgment of all the earth through a flood. God has made his commitment to man and to, and to his creation. Later on, this remind, and, and the sign of that is, of course, uh, the rainbow. For those of us reading this with New Testament eyes, uh, this rainbow covenant uh, reminds us of the new covenant that God will make through us where he'll put his law in our hearts and in our lives, a covenant of grace, favor, in the same way that Noah found it, we can find it too. Okay, that's very quickly running through the main points of the story, which I'm sure is a familiar one to, to lots of you. Let me just uh, conclude now with perhaps three things um, that we can learn, three lessons that spoke to me um, from this story. Uh, the first one uh, is just that point that we ended on just now. Because of our sin, we all need God's salvation. And the water of baptism has a close relation with the, uh, the, the time of Noah in the ark. So I just ask a simple question. Have you been baptized? I'm sure many of you can answer yes. Uh, you can probably remember it. I can still remember mine. Um, but just to, just to underline how vital a part this is in our uh, commitment to God, um, he looks for us to be baptized so that we can begin a new life with him. And the photo I picked from that is uh, some Iranian Christians um, in Turkey at a baptismal service uh, that they had uh, there a few years ago. Um, that for them, very clearly, an end to one life and the beginning of a new one. So because of our sin, we need God's salvation. We can also bank on God's commitment to us, on his goodness to us for all our lives, all the Children here, from the youngest ones, the older ones, we can all count on God following us with grace and mercy all the days of our life. It's a, uh, a wonderful promise uh, that he makes us, and Isaiah underlines this one. He says, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters would never again cover the earth. My unfailing or unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. My love for you will not be shaken, my covenant of peace not be removed, and he has compassion on us. And so we too can find God's grace for all our situations, everything um, in our lives, every challenge, as we were, difficulty, as we were thinking earlier. And that presence, that grace, that favor that, of God for us is something which can be a constant in our lives. Let me just, uh, what I'd like to do is conclu conclude with just a, um, uh, a little story and then for us to sing um, uh, a hymn uh, together. This was something that happened in, and I can date it pretty well exactly, to uh, November 1997. Okay, so it's a long time ago. Um, and it was a time, uh, the autumn uh, that year, 
when uh, there was huge, huge amounts of things going on. Um, it was actually quite a difficult time in the church at that point. There were numbers of people leaving, going elsewhere, and so relationships were ending. Um, my parents were living with us um, at the time, and my dad died um, in the September. When he died, that kind of took away my mum's reason to live, and so she died um, a couple of uh, months later. This was the period that also some of you will remember um, that uh, Kate Bushell, um, a member of the church youth group, was, was murdered down in Exwick. And so we had the TV everywhere, and there was a, I had a, I remember, a memorial service in St. Thomas um, School, uh, as it was then, West Ex School, um, to conduct. And so it was a, a time of you know, great turbulence and challenge and difficulty. And I can remember one day just sitting at home and putting on um, a worship CD uh, by Chris Bowalter. And he had updated some, uh, some older hymns. And there was a line in the hymn, in the Heavenly Love Abiding, which says, nothing changes here. Nothing changes here. Now, that's a terrible slogan for a church. <laughs> But for an individual, for someone who loves the Lord, that's just a fantastic truth. And I still remember uh, the moment sitting there of just, just that sense of God's uh, presence there, that close to him, nothing changes. He is uh, with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He really died on a cross for us. He really rose again for us. He really is in heaven praying for us and with us. And we can bank on his love forever. In the same way that Noah found God's favor and grace, we can find it too.